Alright, let's get started. And also, this is a four-part thing, and it's supposedly going to be taped. I may even put up some videos, so, and also I'm going to tweet about it, so there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of communi communicating, communicating going going on. Uh, also, it's four Sundays, uh, but it's going to end on the 23rd um, because we will not meet um, next weekend. There's an out-of-town event the teacher must attend. Um, so let's um, let's open with a prayer, which I, I had one, but actually the collect for today actually fits us pretty well. Um, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in thy well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, what we're about is trying to answer one question. Which is, what, if anything, does crime fiction tell us about the gospel? Obviously, I think it tells us something. Oh, I wouldn't be doing this. But there's several potential um, answers to that question. Um, a tentative answer, and that's all it is, a tentative answer, is that more than any other kind of you know, genre fiction, and by that I mean you know westerns or science fiction, uh, romance novels and so forth, more than any other kind of genre story, the, the, the crime stories tend to either illuminate or counterpoint what we see in the gospel, and in particular, in general, the presentation of the human condition, our actual working landscape, is very, hey, come on in, is very, uh, is very accurate. Now, the, the resolution of that, right, you can grab one of those uh, fascinating handouts um, when you come in. The resolution of the problems in that landscape may be wrong from a gospel point of view, but we can deal with that when we get there. The, 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 the useful point, our, our working thesis is going to be, is that... Um, Crime fiction helps us to understand that that lost condition in which the gospel describes us as as as, as being. All right, uh, here's the game plan. Today, we're going to try to define two things. We don't have a lot of time, but so I'm, we're just going to try to do two things. First, we're going to de define the scriptural basis from which we're going to proceed. And then second, we're going to try to define what we mean when we say uh, crime fiction. Uh, and we're going to exclude a bunch of other stuff. Uh, thrillers, for example, don't fall in this, in this category. I like them. A lot of people like them, but I, they don't fall in this, in this category. For our purposes, we're going to be talking about three kinds of stories. Um, and those three kinds of stories will consume the next three Sundays. Um, the first category is what goes uh, by the term noir fiction. Right, noir, I'm, I'm deeply sophisticated, so I know that noir is French, right? <laughs> uh, for black. And it, was, it, it takes its name from a, a style of French uh, filmmaking that 
was uh, literally, uh, uh, visually, very dark. In fact, sometimes impenetrable. You couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, examples of that, th this, this flourished, not so much today, but really flourished in the 30s, the late 20s, the 30s, and the 40s. People like James M. Cain, Dashiell Hammett, those kind of, you know, those kind of guys. Um, the characters in these stories are wholly at odds with whatever system they find themselves in. And ultimately, they are crushed by that system. There's, there's really no happy endings in noir crime stories. Um, and theologically, what we're going to talk about when we get to noir, noir fiction is how does that end up? In other words, what's the resolution for those people compared to other kinds of stories. For example, the topic of the following Sunday, which is detective fiction. Okay, different things happen theologically in these kinds of, of stories. When, when, when we're talking about detective fiction as opposed to noir stories, in detective stories, we're talking about somebody who generally at least touches the system. They may not be contrary to it, but at least touch it. So they may work within the system, right? So that's like the murder detective or the amateur sleuth type. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that, the, the homicide detective. Or they may work a little bit outside the system, like a, the, the uh, private investigator novels, uh, the, the, the amateur sleuth, the, the, the Miss Marple type, right? Um, and the problem there is going to be thinking, okay, how does that type of story theologically end up in comparison to the first kind? Because there's, I think we'll find a huge difference, even though they're dealing with the same kind of landscape. And then the final su Sunday will be a, a kind of crime fiction that I don't really like, but we need to talk about it because it, it, it really minds us well. And for lack of a better word, I call it vicarage fiction. It's, 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 it's crime stories where the, the protagonist, the problem solver, is uh, a, a priest, a nun, a minister. Okay? And the, the, the reason why we need to talk about it, even though I don't really like them that much, that this is like, like Chesterton. I don't know if anybody's ever like Father Brown stories. All right. the, reason, the reason we need to talk about that is the way those stories resolve the problem is we're going to see very different from the way the problem gets uh, resolved either in noir stories okay or or in detective fiction i think somebody like a like a like a dashiell hammett literally would not understand what chesterton was is talking about in a father brown kind of story okay so we're going to have noir fiction detective fiction and vicarage uh fiction uh but before we, we get to any of that, and we need to talk a little bit about theology, because what we're not doing here is kind of lit crit, you know, lit crit. I mean, we, we want to talk about how does the gospel get illuminated and darkened by this. So here's the proposition, is that any crime fiction book you pick up, including any across these three genres or subgenres, each one is working in a landscape and that landscape is the landscape of a fallen world right a a 
pre-lapsarian detective story. A detective story in the Garden of Eden doesn't work, right? In the first place, it'd be very boring, <laughs> right? Because there's nothing to there's, there's there's nothing to detect. There's nothing to figure out. Okay, um, and but 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 secondly, there's nothing to resolve in an Edenic kind of environment. So all these stories have to have a deeply fallen world. And so the first question is going to be, is that world described correctly or not? That is, does it, does it resonate with us as the reader? And then secondly, um, is the ultimate disposition of that world, in other words, the way it ends up, that landscape in that story, is it correct is it resolved properly in terms of what happens in the gospel? And I, think, I think that what we're going to see is the answer to the first question is these kind of stories almost always get it right theologically. They almost always get it wrong uh, to, uh, theologically as far as the disposition of the problem. But look, that's, that's more than most people do. All right. The fallen world, obviously, and this is 101 for anybody that goes to the Advent, but it never hurts to hear it again. The fallen world is characterized by sin. Every dramatic problem in these stories arises from sin. Okay? And what's interesting is neither the characters, and set aside the vicarage kind of stories where you got the Father Brown types, um, neither the characters nor in all likelihood the person writing the story thinks of what's happening as sin. It's a problem, you know, greed, avarice, lust, um, so forth. It's a problem that sets the story in motion, but one reason these kind of stories are so useful for believers is because the, 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 the author is not trying to import some kind of Christian worldview. If anything, they're doing the, 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 the exact opposite. So it frees up the story and lets us see actually what's going, what's going on. So the fallen world in all these stories is characterized by sin. Okay, And obviously we're not talking about sin being like bad things like floods and natural disasters and disease. These are offenses against God or against man and God. Right? Um, that sin is, and you, and you know, I'm not going to take time to read them all, but I just want to give us a little foundation that, you know, Psalm 51, sin is related to God. Sin is not a problem of politeness. In a lot of these stories, you have very polite, ethical, um, another French word, milieu. How about that? Milieu. Um, you know, you have a, you have a very um, kind of okay, you know, a, a kind of a place like the Advent. I mean, everything kind of looks okay. It's clean, you know, nice looking people and everything. It's fine, you know. But sin, okay, sin is related to God, and it is breaking God's law. James uh, two ten. The problem, and again, what's fascinating is the characters in these stories that we're going to see don't really think of themselves as breaking God's law. They think of, most of them, some of them, some of them do, most of, most of them don't. Most of them are acting out of a sinful condition. Hey, Matt, come on in. Most of, most of them are acting out of a sinful 
condition that in fact breaks God's law, but they don't see themselves in any particular relationship to him to break. Okay? That limits the story a little bit dramatically, but for our purposes, again, it's great because it, cl it clears away all the kind of the, the, the debris that if we consciously tried to put a theological overlay on this. So we're talking about something that's sin being something related to God. It's, being, it's a violation of his law. And this is particularly important, I think, in these stories that we'll see, that sin is deeply rooted in human nature. Okay? Especially the first category that we're going to talk about, you know, noir stories, the Cains and the Hammets of the world. Okay? That, that, that sin is occurring because it's there. It's not necessarily a conscious decision. It's not a desire in and of, it, of itself. That sin operates uh, often on a kind of a tawdry level, uh, a petty level, but it's, it, is, it is deeply rooted in, in nature. Sim, uh, also, sin operates inwardly. Okay? That's what allows uh, somebody, you know, you may like stories kind of like, you know, the... the, the you know, English country village, you know, uh, uh, Agatha Christie types, okay? That's what allows, you know, the, the, the family gathers for Christmas and one of them ends up getting killed. That's what allows that story to actually be kind of compelling and frightening and disturbing in, in some ways is that the externalities carry on, okay? And we'll talk a little bit about this in greater detail. And we actually go into the detective story because W.H. Auden, who's a poet, has got a whole theory about how this works. But that's what allows those stories to be compelling and disturbing because even though the externals are all fine, okay, different kind of story than, say, like a Cain or a Hammett story where nothing's fine, everything's bad, internal, external, everything. But in the, sort of the, the, the English country house Christmas dinner murder story, um, the externals are all fine. What's wrong is the heart. Okay, and, and um, um, you know, Exodus 20, 17 there I thought spoke, spoke a lot to that because that, um, that, that, that sin operates and cannot be, uh, uh, can't, uh, what, what externals don't satisfy the law. Okay, that's what drives the tension theologically and dramatically in sort of the Agatha Christie kind of story is that, is that the law never gets satisfied. And in truth, we're going to talk about this in a second, and all these stories, that's what drives them dramatically and theologically is that the law with capital L and little l never gets satisfied. So what, what we have, and you can see why this, this is... This, this, this is such a kind of an overflowing, erupting constantly for the last, I don't know, what, 150 years, maybe, of, of storytelling, uh, because what we've got is a, a, a corrupted condition, and then we have people who are guilty by standing, okay? So that's why atonement, and again, this is a fascinating thing, because uh, atonement is a common phrase, okay? But if you say Google 
atonement. Out of a hundred hits, what do you think 99 are going to be? Or maybe a hundred, depending on your search engine. It's that book by Ian McEwen. There is little secular discussion of atonement, okay, in the theological sense. There's a lot of it in the sense of sort of you never get away from history and history always pays you back and history catches up to you. There's a, there's, a, there's a ton of that, okay? But not in the theological sense. What crime fiction does is, again, sometimes unintentionally, because a lot of these people writing it have, would, are either, would, would, would either never describe themselves as any kind of Christian or if they are, it's, it's, it's some kind of very curious Christian, okay? So they, they would, they would, they, it would not occur to them, but what we're seeing is, in crime fiction, and a lot of it anyway, is atonement. Because, by definition, there has to be a payment, okay? There is no satisfaction, right, at the end of the story if there is not some, some, kind, of, some kind of payment. So the people in these stories have, have these, just these magnificent problems. They can't repent. Right? They can't see the kingdom of God. They can't enter the kingdom. Um, they, they, they can't obey God. They, they can't glorify him. Um, they are they they, they, they they even if it, even they thought about it they can't live lives that are pleasing to God okay and they can't they can't receive eternal life they are fundamentally disabled okay that's what makes these stories uh, I think compelling to many of us and why some of you are probably even here you probably read a lot of these things. Um, Biblically, just as far as narrative, obviously, Scripture is just eat up with crime. You know, starting starting with you know Genesis four, Cain and Abel. Uh, I mean, murder, lust, incense. I mean, you know, uh, David, David and Bathsheba, and even Calvary. And I think we forget about this sometimes because Jesus was not only crucified. Um, for the supposed offenses he committed, but he was crucified with what? Two criminals. This this was the culmination of a process that, to the observers who were who were looking at it, looked like a criminal act. You know, the a criminal activity, or the, or at least the outcome, right, of a criminal activity. And um, um, you know, the 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 good thief. Remember, we got the. The dumb thief and the good thief, right? The good thief, by tradition, is uh, it was, it was named uh, Dismas. And um, um, I, was, I, I was thinking about Dismas um, for a couple of reasons. One, there's actually a private investigator named Dismas Hardy uh, in, in some stories. But the other reason was that you know, here's Dismas, and he's, on, he's being executed, but he's on the sidelines of his own execution. His own execution, which to me, if I were being executed, would be a fairly significant event, right? It would be the main thing. Dismas's execution isn't the main event. The thing is, by grace, he's allowed to realize that his execution isn't the main event, that something else is going, is going on. All right, so as it would any normal person, thinking about Dismas got me thinking about readers of crime fiction and 
I think I think that there is something, and and you know, later later on during the day, you might think about this if you if you read this stuff, that that crime fiction has got lots of readers. The book publishing industry is dying for reasons both technological and and just all the ignorant people walking around. All right, so it's 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 dying. But one thing that is that, that sort of keeps its numbers is crime fiction. So these stories have lots of readers, okay? But you know, it was, so what? I mean, why is that is a good question. And the secondly, does it matter? Because it doesn't matter, it's not the way he's talking on it. I mean, because cause there's other genres, you know, your, your, your Harlequin romance bodice ripper, I got lots of readers too. That's another very consistent, you know, uh, channel for, uh, I've, I've just been told this. I have never read a <laughs> bodice ripper, um, and that doesn't matter, though. I mean, I'll take it on other people's word that it, it, it doesn't matter how many Harlequin romance novels get written. It just doesn't matter theologically. It might be entertaining, but it's not going to matter theologically. It's not going to matter in gospel terms. All right. Um, one thesis is that crime story readers see themselves the way Dismas saw himself as really kind of on the sidelines of our own execution and that we realize that we are being executed, so to speak, justly because of sin, but that there is something more important going on. Okay. That was, that was a tremendous insight vouchsafed to Dismas. That's the same thing that the gospel does for us. Now, W.H. Uh, Auden, uh, a British-English poet, eventually had a conversion experience, um, and he was a huge fan of the second of my two subgenres, of the sort of the traditional, the sort of the traditional detective story and he wrote a lot about this and actually at the end for your for your uh, takeaway you can go home and put it on your refrigerator and consult it from time to time this coming week a poem actually that he wrote uh, called detective story but Auden spent a lot of time thinking about this problem why do we why do I Auden says read these stories he says I'm an addict he says I can't I, he says I got any work to do I, I got to make sure I you know don't pick pick up on these stories you know why is this so he writes this long essay that's kind of seminal in this in this literature and I exerted a, a, a piece of it but the, the core of it there is that he says that I suspect that the typical reader of detective stories is like myself a person who suffers from a sense of sin from the point of view of ethics Desires and acts are good or bad, and I must choose the good and reject the bad, but the I which makes this choice is ethically neutral. It only becomes good or bad in its choice. And then he goes on to um, a, a quote uh, Romans in chapter 7. Uh, Except I had known the law, I had not known uh, sin. You know, now, 
you can you, we can accept that or reject that, but it's as good a way of explaining theologically how this works as as I have come across. It's as good a way of explaining why these stories, unlike other subgenres, have theological content. Now, there is a wholly secular way of explaining away how all this works. So let's spend two seconds doing that, okay? Because if you go out of this class and you start talking about what I'm talking about, some people say, well, that's, that's, you know, that, that, that's crazy. The, how can I put it, the non-gospel theory of how this works and why you like to read these kind of stories is this, that we enjoy order. We demand order, right? and we are confronted with a world that has chaos in it. What 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 a a a, a thoroughgoing you know, sort of secularist would, would say is, well, look, what happens in this story is there is order at the beginning. You know, you got the family in the English country house having Christmas dinner. Chaos is introduced. Aunt Minnie, you know, is found with a letter opener in her neck or whatever, right? Chaos is introduced. Some externality comes in to restore order. And then, you know, Uncle Beaumont is discovered to have actually stabbed Aunt Minnie with the letter opener over the inheritance. And order is restored. And the notion goes aesthetically that's why we why we like this. We appreciate that. We don't like we at, at at heart, although we may be entertained by chaos, we don't really really want it. And so, what we're experiencing is when we when we when we when we read these kind of stories, the pleasure we get is because it gets back to that aesthetic closure, and we find that pleasing and reassuring. I think that's. I think there's some truth in that as a as a structure. I mean, that is what happens in a lot of these stories. But it. But that only explains. I think. And if you reflect back on your own reading experience, I think that that explains the how fairly well. It doesn't explain the 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 why. In other words, it kind of it it shows how some of the engine works, but it doesn't really show why we go back to these stories again and again. Um, uh, but that is certainly—I mean, what we're talking about here would certainly be a minority position in in sort of how in sort of the the literature on crime stories. I mean, this this is not the this this would not be a majority uh, or uh, or consensus at all. All right, um, and then another brief digression, digression here. When we see Alden uh, quoting Romans, you know that reminds us of Paul. And Paul, of course, before he was Paul, uh, was Saul. And Saul was both a lawman and a, and a, uh, 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 or at least he was a deputized vigilante at a minimum, right? And, you know, I mean, I think of him kind of as a second temple Jew in a, in a spaghetti western kind of thing, riding off, right, riding off to go, to go hunt down some, you know, some, 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 some radical sectarians. Uh, who were blaspheming, um, and he 
as much as any official detective type, was empowered by the law to, to punish, to make things right. Canon Pearson this morning was, was talking about how things will be made right. That is a common disastrous choice in crime fiction, people trying to make things right. And usually they end up making them, making them wrong. All right, so Saul was this kind of, you know, kind of quasi-lawman, quasi-vigilante type that in a way you could make, you, you, you could have made a, uh, a crime fiction story based on a similar character. But he's also the guy who ends up writing, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Romans 7, 21. Okay, so... What we see there, and again, why I think some of the problems that, that these characters are faced with is so familiar to us, is it's because the same thing that Paul is talking about, which is, at least by, at least by grace, he's given knowledge, well, wait a minute, I've got a problem here. Here I am, a lawman, or kind of deputized vigilante man, but now I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That is a great capsule description of what goes on in a lot of crime stories, even and and, and, a, lot, and a lot of the best ones. I mean, real, very complex stories like uh, like like P.D. James types. That's exactly what happens, and that's what causes things to go wrong usually, is that people find that when they want to do right, they are essentially disabled, that it's a law that when they want to do right, um, evil lies close at hand. All right, so, so I think that, uh, um, and this is an odd thing. I don't know, I, I, I use the ESV version of the Bible. It's got those little subheadings on it. And the subheading for chapter 7 in the ESV is released from the law. Okay. When you go home, though, it's, chapter 7 is not long. Read it again because I love the ESV. I'm not convinced that they got that subheading right because everything in chapter 7, as best I can tell, is just Paul is hammering. This is law. Even when I don't do good, I got, I got law. Okay. And... I think that's a useful question going forward in these little discussions, which is in these kinds of stories, are we ever released from law? Ever. Okay. In these kinds, of, uh, again, depends on what kind of subgenre you're kind of you're, you're you're working in. I mean, in in noir fiction, things are so bad. I mean, either. I mean, if the character isn't dead, I mean, he or she ought to wish he dead, because I mean, it's it's not going to get any better, right? But whatever the, the the category, I think it's a useful question to ask: Are these people ever going to be released from law, or is the only possible disposition, right, one that involves application of the law? And we'll have we'll have we'll have time to kind of think about that and talk about that. A little bit but um, 
you know that that may be the point at which crime stories go off the rails theologically that is they they get it almost universally again even written by the most you know vigorous secularists they get it when they're talking about our condition but having done so and having built a great dramatic engine around it okay without sort of the gospel conviction there's no way to get out of the story except by applying the law the secularist says well of course that's what we appreciate it's, that's the restoration of order right that's the that's the getting rid of chaos so that if you're not taking this worldview then you think oh, well, that's perfectly normal that's exactly how it is supposed to is supposed to work okay but remember let's remember what's happening in these stories so let's take another uh let's take another example of something that's not a crime story of the kind we're talking about let's say crime and punishment you know dostoevsky right one of the greatest novels in, in the world certainly one of the greatest novels in in russian literature right what happens in crime and punishment i mean if there was ever a book about murder that's it right the main character raskolnikov is kind of wigged out graduate student you know, I went to graduate school. Believe me, I, I, if, if I ever saw anybody with a sharp instrument, I would leave the room. <laughs> right. All right, what happens? Raskolnikov broke, wigged out, graduate student, uh, uh, murders an old, uh, an old, an old lady, a pawnbroker. Right? There's no mystery about it. We're with, we're with Raskolnikov. We see it all happening. Um, uh, he is, he's a nut. He practically turns himself in uh, to the police in hours. In fact, he goes, he goes kind of prancing in the police station and all this kind of stuff. So there, there is no, there's, 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 none of this we can talk about is going on. So what's happening there and what's happening that's different to you when you read a crime story versus when uh, you read, you know, crime and punishment, you know. Now, I know you probably haven't read Crime and Punishment since high school. You know, Edmund Doss tries to read it every year at the beach. I know. But most of us, most of us don't, don't do that. What's happening in Crime and Punishment is we are empathizing with the murderer. We, our suffering and his suffering are the same. Raskolnikov's suffering is the same. That's why his ultimate salvation, you know, with the, it's the prostitute. Who said, what's her name? Sonia? 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 You know, and also hate that. Hookers with a heart of gold is, is, is terrible. <laughs> terrible. That's, that's another series. You know, that's another, that's, a, that's the fifth one. Yeah. <laughs> that's only on tape. That's only on tape. Um, all right. But that's, but, but that's, that's what's going on in crime and punishment you know a tremendous murder story we, we are empathizing with raskolnikov his suffering is ours his redemption is ours okay in almost no crime fiction that i'm aware of and certainly any successful crime story we never empathize with the murderer the murderer is the one who has offended against god and man the murderer and so what we are we are watching right we're not we may watch his suffering maybe you know maybe it's revealed at the end you know we may watch it 
we may agree with whatever judgment is pronounced upon it, but we sure as heck don't want to be empathizing with it, okay? And so that's what, that's why when people talk about these kind of stories and get after you for, you know, reading escapist literature, there's two responses to that. The first is, exactly, I do want to escape. Go away, okay? That's, <laughs> that's the first <laughs> response. But the second response is, Yes, I am not aligning my suffering with the suffering of the murderer. Because let's not ever forget that. The murderer, in, in, in both kinds of stories, always suffers. Why? Because he's trying to be Superman. He is, he is trying to set himself up as God because he is ascribing to himself the ability to take life. Okay? So the, the murderer, in both kinds of stories, suffers and suffers a lot. But in the one, the point is we empathize. We, 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 we are uh, co-equal and co-terminal sufferers with him. Right? That's why crime and punishment shakes you up so much. In crime fiction, we are not. That's why, in theory anyway, it doesn't shake you up so much as it satisfies you. Okay, because it realigns, or the, the the world is now aligned in a sense, the way the gospel described. That is, a sinful terrain, and then a resolution. All right. So I think that 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 where we're going to get started next time, and what noir stories are great. You know, they're not just great for you know the snappy dialogue. You know, which I put. Let me put something on the front. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if I had to, I mean, if I had to put one thing that could not be scriptural on my tombstone, it would be that quote from Red Harvest. Who shot him, I asked. The gray man stretched the back of his neck and said, somebody with a gun. <laughs> so, but, but these stories aren't just good because of, of, of snappy dialogue, which, of which they have a bunch. Um, but on this last point, about the difference between crime and punishment as a murder story versus crime fiction as murder stories. Noir fiction is a great uh, jumping off point, okay? Because um, if there is any set of characters that are going to reflect our own lostness, our own sinfulness, our own unmooredness, it's going to be the people in, in, uh, um, in these kind of stories. And next time we meet, and again, remember, we're not going to meet the, the next Sunday. We'll start up again the following one. Is we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Cain's The Postman Always Rings Twice. If you haven't read it, you've probably seen the movie. There have been two movies made of it. Um, and uh, that opening line, that's the opening line from The Postman Always Rings Twice, is fraught with theological implications. We're going, we're going, I talked to somebody for an hour one time about this. I mean, I'm a fascinating guy. I talked about an hour, hour about, about this. Um, but noir fiction is going to be a great stepping stone for that. Um, let me see. Uh, we have a couple of minutes for any questions, comments, criticisms. I know it's I know it's hard to follow me, but you can certainly. So what we should read? Not not not. <laughs> Our homework should be what. 
Well, that's a good question. I, I, I'm, I hesitate to give homework in these kind of things because it is, as you as a professional educator is, is want to know, often goes unfulfilled or un, but, but undone. Two weeks for us to, if we read one of each thing. Well, uh, you know, and, and, and if, if, if I, t I tell you, um, the postman rings, always rings twice, it's very short. Okay. Um, if you want to go grab a paper book, copy of that that would be um that would be uh that would be interesting um, i'm probably going to have some handouts but usually what i found is that people are you know people that come to these things are very interested and they're very literate but they're very busy and so if i go say read 500 pages between now and two weeks it it either they don't come back or it doesn't it doesn't get done or they lie you know so <laughs> none of those three none of those three work but yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, that would be a that would be a good um, store, uh, example. And then after that, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of choices. But like a you know, like a P.D. James, Divisive Desires. I don't know if anybody's ever read that, but you know, that's a, that's a tremendous example of this stuff. So, but that is that is it. Anything else? And there are the bells.